Hello, hello, hello. I'm Aaliyah, and this is a very special bonus episode of Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity. It is finally here. Season two of The Mandalorian is now streaming on Disney Plus. Sorry, I'm just a little bit excited if you couldn't tell. I have been looking forward to The Mandalorian's new season and also Euphoria's new season, even though it's not really going to be season two of Euphoria. They're doing a two episode bridge to lead into season two, I think. But still, this is what's getting me through 2020. Just in case you were curious, the bridge episodes of Euphoria does come out in December, but we're not here to talk about Euphoria. We're here to talk about The Mandalorian. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. And an additional warning that this is extremely spoiler heavy. I'm talking heavy spoilers from season one and also season two's first episode. So if you have not yet seen the first episode of The Mandalorian season two or the show in general, you may not want to continue. Today, in honor of Baby Yoda coming back to us, and quick sidebar onto this sidebar, if you have a problem with people using the term Baby Yoda, I'm going to get to you momentarily, don't you worry. But first, I'm going to talk about this drink. This is off the Starbucks secret menu. I got this recipe from totallythebomb.com, who always have like either the craziest, best, delicious recipes, or just really random basic things. I would put this under the very easy category, but it's very delicious. You start by asking for a green tea frappuccino and then you add caramel drizzle to the cup then you can ask for whipped cream if your local starbucks has those caramel ribbon crunchies you can throw that on too i was expecting this to be interesting i don't know if i'd say i was expecting it to be good but i definitely was like all right well maybe it'll be a dumpster fire but it'll at least be interesting this is so good like i would never put these two together but the caramel and the matcha i'm i'm feeling this this is another really sweet one. I got a grande, which was a mistake. I don't think I'll be able to finish this because it's very rich and it's very heavy, but it is tasty. Getting back into The Mandalorian, before I go into season two, I'm going to give a quick rundown of season one, just in case there's some things you might have forgotten. This is just going to be little tidbits of information. It's not going to be like your full sweep of season one. It's just going to be like, oh yeah, moments. That's the key here. And once again, just in case you might have missed it earlier from this point forward, will be spoiler, spoiler, spoiler heavy. At this point, I've said it at nauseum, so I'm just gonna continue. And one more thing I want to add, I am no Star Wars expert. I know a few things here and there, but just ahead of time, if you're looking for some encyclopedia of knowledge, that is not me. I am not pompous, pretentious, anything like that with Star Wars. So if I get something wrong or you think something should be added, I apologize. I'm just watching it as I see it and with the information that I'm aware of. I am not claiming to be some expert. I am simply giving my comments 
commentary. Just in case you thought that was me, that is not me. I apologize in advance that I am not your Star Wars guru. That being said, I love Star Wars and I love The Mandalorian. It's probably my favorite, how would you call it? I guess subset of Star Wars. That and Rogue One, but I'm going off on a tangent. Let's get to the recap. Season one starts off with the bounty hunter Din Djarin getting a new job. He's tasked with retrieving a 50-year-old specimen from the planet Arvala 7, dead or alive. On Arvala 7, that's where he meets the fabulous Ugnaught named Queel and a droid bounty hunter named IG-11. Said droid and Mando kick some major ass of the soldiers guarding the target that he set to acquire. And we find out shortly after that that target is Baby Yoda. Or, as the story actually refers to him, the child. Actually, did we get clarification on Baby Yoda's pronouns? Let's do that. Oh, and I did not forget about those of you who take issue with people calling the child Baby Yoda. The people who have watched The Mandalorian are fully aware that this is not Baby fucking Yoda. We know the timeline. We know the circumstances. We know that it's not really Baby Yoda. So your bizarre Star Wars knowledge flex of the blaringly obvious is completely unnecessary. So please stop. The droid wants to kill Baby Yoda. And this is the first time that we see Din Djarin or Mando get really protective. So rather than kill the child, he just wants to take it alive. Mando's ready to be off to the races and deliver the bounty, and he conducts a very dumb deal with the ever-annoying Jawas who strip his ship of parts. Due to said deal, Mando finds himself attempting to retrieve the egg of a mudhorn, which if you don't know, big bad beast, you don't want to tango with a mudhorn. I just realized how much emphasis I'm putting on my P's and my T's. I apologize if that is not pleasant to the ear. That got really weird. We're going to forget that happened. Anyway, to no one's surprise, Mando is nearly killed by the Mudhorn. But to everyone's surprise, Mando is saved by Baby Yoda, who uses his force powers to suspend the Mudhorn long enough for Mando to kill it and get the egg and seal the Jawa deal, allowing him to jet off in his ship with Baby Yoda to deliver him to the client. In exchange for Baby Yoda, Mando's nameless client pays him 20 bars of Beskar steel. In simpler terms, He uses those bars to get a sassy new suit of armor. I so apologize if you hear Ragnar purring obnoxiously in the background. I'm trying to calm him down, but he's not leaving my side. It's like 5.30 in the morning and he's hungry. So I'm quite grateful that he's not like climbing all over the laptop and like meow, meow in my ear, but still quite obnoxious. I'm sorry if you hear that. Even in Mando's new armor, he's feeling incredibly guilty about Baby Yoda. So he rescues the child and they whisk away to Planet Sorgan. Now, of course, this leads to a bounty on the bounty hunter's head for stealing this prize target. On planet Sorgan, they meet Cara Dune, the icon, the legend, the badass. After her and Mando help the farmers in that village defend themselves, Mando thinks for a moment that maybe he'll just leave the child with them because it's so peaceful and nice there. Bounty hunters arrived shortly after that and that caused Mando to say, peace out. I'm taking my small baby Yoda friend and we are dipping out of here. I feel like this recap is getting super long, so I'm going to kind of just shorten it up a little bit here because I'm already at like seven minutes. So sorry if this gets a little bit choppy. I understand I might miss some important information, but you have probably already watched season one. After battling the bounty hunter that was after him and baby Yoda, his ship is completely damaged and he needs to have some repairs. And in order to do so, he 
lands on Tatooine. To get credits to fix his ship, he finds a job with a rookie bounty hunter named Toro. Two set out to pick up an assassin named Fennec Shan, but Toro, being a greedy shady bitch boy, double crosses Mando. He realizes how much Baby Yoda is worth and snags him up for himself. But of course, Mando does not let that fly and, oh yeah, kills him. Also, it might be a small thing, might be a big thing, but we do see Fennec Shan's body in the desert and we see a mysterious character moving towards it. It's presumed to be Boba Fett, in my opinion, but you never know. Hopefully we'll find out in season two. Now, once again, Mando needs a job so he can fix that ship. So he hooks up with an old friend to complete yet another job. But in my favorite episode of the season, and including one of my favorite scenes in anything ever, he is double-crossed yet again. But in true Mando fashion, he seeks them all out one by one and takes out each and every one of them. At this point, Mando realizes that he needs to just nip this shit in the bud. He's got bounty hunters following him. So he's just going back to the root of the problem. He makes a plan to team up with all of his pals that he's met along the way, and he heads back to Navarro, which is completely under siege, led by Moff Gideon. On Navarro, we happen to see Baby Yoda flex some healing powers, which in turn helps a traitor change his mind to double-cross Mando yet again. So instead of crossing him, Karga decides to join him. Now Moff Gideon is fucking on one, right? So he's sending his scouts to go get Baby Yoda. He's shooting shit up, including the client who gets killed. And Queel. A moment of silence for Queel. That one hurt. That was like, for me, it was a Dobby moment. I was nowhere near as connected to Queel as I was Dobby, but that's what I felt like. Maybe because they look similar-ish, kind of, not really. Moff Gideon is still on his bullshit and he starts dropping info on Mando off the dome. He knows his name, he knows his past, which means he's attacked Mandalore and probably got access to the Darksaber that way, but more on that momentarily. At this point, Mando is severely hurt and will only accept medical help from the Mandalorians. But because he is so badly hurt, he actually reveals his face to the droid that he hated so much. After IG-11 puts a band-aid on Mando's boo-boos, they travel through the lair of the Mandalorians. That is when he makes contact with the armorer and she informs him that he needs to bring baby Yoda to the Jedi. And she also gifts him with a jetpack, the gift that keeps on giving. So the group of badasses leave the Mandalorian lair and they're just kicking ass left and right and they think that they are owning this shit until Moff Gideon swipes in with a fucking TIE fighter. But using that sick fucking jetpack, Mando flies through the air and takes down the TIE fighter and seemingly kills Moff Gideon. Mando whisks away with baby Yoda and then we see it. The end of the season, in the wreckage of the TIE fighter, Moff Gideon carving his way out with the Darksaber. That quick recap got really long. But I mean, I don't know what else I could have shredded from the information. I don't know. We're moving forward into season two now. Right off the bat, I noticed, wow, 54 minutes. I'm here for it. Much longer than last season's episodes, which I think is perfect for what I imagine will be a very intricate, in-depth season. This is the way, Disney. Yes, give me all the hour-long episodes. The first episode, titled Chapter 9, opens with Mando and Baby Yoda in some sort of space hood with hundreds of creepy red eyes lurking in the darkness surrounding them. They are making their way to see Gorka 
Koresh at a fight club of sorts. At this point, we learn that Mando's intention is to find information on the whereabouts of another Mandalorian. Gore Koresh is on some real mafia shit, let me tell you. Koresh makes it glaringly obvious that he wants Mando's sexy armor and refuses to give any information on where to seek the other Mandalorian. Because gaudy Koresh is playing games, he ends up looking like the hanged man and becomes supper for those creepy creatures with the red eyes after divulging that the other Mandalorian he knows of is on Tatooine. At this point, I assume this is not another Mandalorian, but would be someone in Boba Fett's armor, which we later find out is in fact the case. Once Mando arrives on Tatooine, he makes his way over to a mining village slash settlement situation and does so in style on a rad speeder bike. Those scenes reminded me how beautiful visually this show is. Honestly, it's such a masterpiece. And also realized they were going in this season on the whole Western feel of the show, which I'm not mad at. I'm not a huge fan of Westerns, but obviously this is like a space Western, so it's a little different. He makes his way into a saloon or bar or whatever they want to call it and meets with the marshal wearing Boba Fett's armor, looking pretty janky, I might add. Now, this choice of casting is perfect. It's none other than the well-versed Marshall himself, Timothy Oliphant, playing Cobb Vanth. And you may know him as the Marshall from Justified. And I believe he plays a Marshall in Deadwood as well. So this is his thrice performance as a Marshall. Good for him. Cobb Vanth informs Mando that he bought the suit off of some Jawas, which we later learn the details of that deal. Now Mando is pissed off off, obviously, and he demands that Cobb Vanth take off the suit and hand it over to him. In the midst of this heated back and forth, the ground rattles and alarms start blaring. A crate dragon that looks like an otherworldly dinosaur shark on steroids starts terrorizing the village and Cobb Vanth is desperate to stop it. This dinosaur shark crate dragon situation is apparently a very regular thing that happens in that village. So Vanth wants to take advantage of having Mando there and the two come to a compromise. If Mando helps defeat the creature, he will give the armor back. So Mando and the Marshal roll up to where the crate dragon lives and come face to face with these Tusken creatures, I don't know what they are referred to as, and Tusken raiders. Here we learn that Mando is well versed and speaks Tusken and figures out that the raiders are fully game to kill that dragon son of a bitch. After concocting a plan with Cobb and the raiders, they ask the village to help them kill the beast. Hear him roar, see him foam, but we're not coming home till he's dead. Good and dead! I'm so sorry, but that song like flew into my head as I was saying that. Anyways, back to Mandalorian. The villagers agree to help kill this beast in exchange for peace from the raiders. So the two join forces to set all the booby traps to blow this crate dragon fucker up. Interesting side note, the dragon has a fun little party trick. Acid breath. Few shots of tequila and I have acid breath too. No worries, dragon. You're not alone. Their original plan to lure the crate dragon and blow it up from the underneath failed. So Mando comes up with the brilliant idea to throw a fully strapped bantha down its throat. And you know, why the hell not get swallowed in the process of this very last minute idea? What's life without a little risk, huh? Mando escapes from the dragon using his jetpack, which 
is a very interesting circumstance. Sounds like escaping a sarlacc might not be out of the question, huh, Boba Fett? Just thought I'd throw that out there. I digress. Mando blows out of the dragon's stomach and detonates the strap bantha on some real gangsta shit, let me tell you. Mission is accomplished and the Boba Fett armor is successfully acquired. Mando and Baby Yoda are on the move once again. And then we see him, Boba Fett, with a fucked up face, it's Tamora Morrison and suddenly I have more questions than I had at the beginning of the episode. I'm really excited for this season, but I feel like I need to learn a lot more to keep up with it. From what I understand, this is going to be like a springboard for Dave Filoni to create his own Star Wars universe. So I can imagine it's going to create a really strong backbone for that and pack a lot into very few episodes. I don't want to get lost in the sauce and not fully understand what's happening this season. So who knows, maybe I'll become a Star Wars guru after all. I thought this episode was great and so fitting for the time we are in right now. I don't think it was unintentional to have a parallel issue that we're facing right now. Different groups of a community with vastly different cultures, languages, and ideas coming together despite hostility, fear, and distrust to defeat a common enemy for what everyone ultimately wants. And that is peace. I think we can all relate to that. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus pod. It really means a lot to me that you take time out of your day to listen to me. I appreciate the support more than you know. I started recording this at about 5.30 in the morning, uh, so I'm a little sleepy, but it's so worth it. I just wanted to get it out there as soon as possible. Depending on my situation and how busy I am, I might do more updates like this if people like them. Probably not after each episode premieres because that's that's a long night for me, but I might like chunk episodes together and do updates on them and then maybe a final finale. Who knows? We'll see. For updates on upcoming episodes and pictures of the baby Yoda frap and all the tasty things that I'm sipping on, be sure to follow the pod on Instagram at NCQH podcast. I would also like to share a website for Black Lives Matter resources. The website is PB, P as in Peter, B as in Bob, dash resources.com. There you will find podcasts, books, movies, media profiles of everything pertaining to the Black Lives Matter movement. You will also find petitions, numbers to call, emails to reach out to, tips for protesters, bail and arrest resources, lists of Black queer and trans organizations to support, and a list of action items to support and educate yourself on the Black trans community. There are also links to bail funds, direct action, memorial funds, black businesses, and more. And they also have beautiful tributes in honor of those who have lost their lives at the hands of white supremacy, police brutality, and injustice. Black lives still matter. They will always matter and they have always matter, regardless of whether or not it's still trending on social media. Thank you again for listening and for supporting. Stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong.